<laughs> Praise God. There's just something about that name. Every knee is going to bow before that name. Day is coming when every tongue will confess. Jesus, you are the Lord, master of everything. We get to do that ahead of time. It's pretty cool. You're an overachiever. You get to say that before the point of time. There's something in the spirit this morning of a, of a heart for God wants to provide supernaturally. Uh, we had a prayer meeting. Michelle led the prayer meeting. Just felt like the Lord, she, a couple of us read scriptures and we just felt like we, we need to take what the Lord said there and bring it in. So this is 2 Kings 4 is a well-known story, but he, he, <clears throat> Elisha is confronted by a woman whose husband was in the company of prophets who Elisha was teaching them. And she said, uh, your servant, my husband is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take away my two boys as his slaves. Elisha said to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except for a small jar of olive oil. And I just hit pause. So often when, when we think in a, in a worldly manner from this perspective, we think of I don't have it in the bank. I don't have stored up excess. I don't have what it's going to cost me to get to where I need to go in God. And because I don't have it, I don't step forward in God. But so often the call of God always starts not with what is, what is the amassed bank account that you have, but what do you have in your hand? To Moses, what's that in your hand? Because it's a stick. He said, well, good. Well, that stick go and lead the people. He said to Gideon, hey, hey, Gideon, go in the strength that you have. Not you're going to have. Go now. Says to this woman, what do you got in your house? Nothing. I just got a little jar of oil. Perfect. We'll start there. Said to the disciples, you feed them. You know, we, we don't have anything. We've got to steal this lunch from this little boy here. It's perfect. That's a revolution in our thinking. There's a repentance necessary. You gotta change the way you think. Because we tend to think God will supply us according to the riches that are amassed around us. But God's economy is in a different place. It's sourced from a different place. There is a different stock exchange. Experiencing more and more, because the kingdom of God it's an ever-increasing kingdom. Up and to the right, constantly, forever. We're going to change the way we, we're going to repent. Did you hear me say repent? About the way we think about money. Philippians 4. I have received the payment. Paul is writing to the Philippians. He's thanking them for the finances they sent. He is... Locked in jail, he cannot provide for himself, which was his habit. But he said, I am now amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your need according to your bank balance. According to the perfection of your administration, according to your estate planning, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. Where does God supply your need from? His riches in glory. For as long as I'm standing here looking at the size of my bank account. I'm not looking at the riches of glory. Am I preaching yet to anyone? There's a revolution the Lord is asking for because Jesus never seemed nervous about how much money they had in Judas's purse. In fact, the Bible says he often told Judas, just empty it. Give it to the poor people. Judas was tortured in his unrighteous soul 
by that generosity. And he was grumbling when Mary poured out a year's worth of wages on Jesus' feet. Why wasn't this given to me to manage? Jesus never lived, never lived out of a consideration of what he had. That was never the mechanism of measurement of what he could accomplish in God. What he had was the beginnings, whatever it is. Oh, that's, what do you have? Oh, oh that's great. I'll just add a little faith to that, and, and this will explode into the beauty of God. So the call of God, I believe this morning, to me, let me start with me and to you, is not how can you administrate out of your head what you have. Because anybody can do it. The atheist neighbor down the road can do that. How do you bring forth out of your heart in com- collaboration with faith what is necessary for you to walk into all God has for you? According to his riches and glory, there is nothing that you can't do. I'm just speaking till I feel a, a, a release from the Lord to stop. Some people need to change. This needs to click for some people this morning. So this has bearing on where you're focusing. <laughs> Because you focus on Jesus, you just see magnificence and opulence and beauty and provision and abundance and joy and peace. You focus elsewhere, there's knots and concerns and worries. See, Paul said to the Philippians, you guys have partnered with me. And let me give you a promise. God is going to meet all your needs. You know why? Because in the middle of your need, you gave generously to me. And that shows me something. Your actions are not predicated on your lack. Your actions are predicated on your faith in the God who can provide. Make sense? It's easy to tell where your focus is. When your focus is on him, praise and thanksgiving is normal. When your focus is on you, on your money, grumbling, recrimination is normal. (laughs) I really feel like the Lord wants to walking among us with wide turns so that the edge of his robe is coming near you. He wants you to just grab hold of it by faith. Just touch the edge of his garment and receive something for you. Many years ago, I preached this message. There was a businessman sitting. He caught something in God. The story was, Elisha said to this woman, She said, I have nothing at all except a small jar of olive oil. And Elisha said to her, go around and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. Yeah. Do not ask for just a few. Do not ask for just a few. Go to your neighbor, say, could I get every jar that you have in your house? Sure, why? Well, the Lord's going to fill it with olive oil. Seriously? Yeah, no. Where's all this olive oil coming from? From this, this. Can I have your, your bins, buckets, jars, glasses, bowls, and everything? And then you go to the next neighbor. Yeah, uh, uh, can I have, uh, I'm not allowed to ask just for a few. Can you give me everything you got? Do you understand the faith that that took for that lady to go knock on all her neighbor's doors and then every surface in her house was filled with buckets and bars and jars and there were little walkways where her sons could go and bring in. She said, bring the first one. And she started to pour and it just filled up. So go, get out the way. Next one, poured. Next one, poured. How many hours do you think that went on? 
Next one. And, the, and they said, Mom, there are no more. And the oil stopped. Father, I pray this morning for us that you would do something supernatural and profound. Lord, forgive us for thinking about you <laughs> the way the world thinks. You don't function like this world, Lord. You have no lack. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Father, I pray for there are, there are I know there are some people in this meeting today that, that Lord, you want to do something for, and I pray that during this meeting as they walk around that you would reach out to them, Lord, and I thank you that as they reach out and touch the edge of your robe that something supernatural, a transference happens today. A, a renewed mind, Lord, but more than that, supernatural provision. A constant flow of oil, Lord, for every, every bucket they put out in front of you, Lord, not just a few. For every big thing they ask for, for every supernatural thing they've trusted for, for every miracle they've asked, for every moment, for every dream they've even dreamed, Lord, we put all of those buckets out in front of you. And I ask, Lord, for a supernatural supply, miraculous supply, so that Jesus can be glorified. And I trust you for it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Very cool. <laughs> All righty. Today, my message is called The Declaration of Independence. I thought it was appropriate. Right. Now, I didn't grow up in the US. I feel, Michelle and I, I feel like I was an American who was born in Africa. But when I came, I was like, this is, these are my people. Like, this makes sense to me, this nation. I love this nation. And for me, something of, because I didn't grow up learning <clears throat> American history, I learned it as an adult. And um, <clears throat> I wasn't taught it, I went out and read it. And I've read books on, and, and studies, and actually went to read the Federalist Papers and Common Sense, and uh, read the stuff that you hear about, but, but have formed an opinion. I, I think phenomenal. Uh, the, the institution of God is in bringing forth a nation <clears throat> was profound, excuse me. And today we're, we're here to celebrate Independence Day, uh, tomorrow, uh, the day when the frustrations and the grievances and the aspirations of the colonists caused them to put pen to paper to create a declaration of independence. What an amazing time. Uh, Tyler spoke a few weeks ago about the kingdom breaking through in history. And for me, this is a moment in history where the kingdom breaks through and God is stirring people to create a new nation. Because we know from Acts 17 that the Bible says that every nation is the work of God. It's the, the fingerprints of God on it. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, the scripture says. He marked off their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. The United States of America in the kingdom, in God's mind, has been marked off. Here it begins. Here it ends. These are its boundaries. God has assigned to this nation an inheritance among the nations, a role within the kingdom. Very cool. And at that time, those colonists had come to a place where their grievances had, had reached such a point and they had found no redress from the king and the king was constantly being uh, more and more of a tyrant that they came to a place where they say, we will not live under tyranny. We will not live under this. We're going to throw off this rulership. Now, Thomas Paine, I think, was... Very helpful, he wrote a book called Common Sense, which you know of, and, but Common Sense, uh, I think sold 500,000 copies in the first year or so. It's pretty amazing. It's like selling 20 million copies today. I mean, it was a, it was a notable work. It changed the hearts of a lot of people. And it prepared people for, for this idea of independence, because up until that time, many, many people thought, this is wrong, but we're not quite ready to just throw off British rule. I mean, maybe we can come to a, maybe there's some sort of agreement. Maybe if we just wrote to the king one more time, maybe if we just tried a little harder, we could find some common ground. And in common, common sense, Paine argued that there is no common ground here. There is a moment that we're coming to. There is an opportunity now for us to throw off this rule and create our own nation. Because sometimes we're so conditioned for, for what has been that we forget that just because it has been in our lives, that does not make it right. 
There are some things that we learn to grow up with and some things this generation has grown up with. And because it's familiar, we think it's normal and it's not normal in the kingdom. You do not work well under tyranny because you were created to be free. You were created, designed to be free. And you don't work well under tyrants. So I'm here this morning to encourage you to throw off tyranny. Be a little rebellious. Hallelujah. (laughs) Tyrants are demanding. They are incrementally totalitarian, which means that if if you make a concession, they'll gobble that up and they'll put more pressure on you and then they'll gobble up the next concession. Incrementally, they become totalitarian. They will demand and require everything you have. And so even the merest, the smallest little uh, give that you give to them is a step backwards. It is not a step forwards. They're despotic in their nature. They're unrelenting. They're harsh. They're incurable. It's time to throw them off. Oxford English Dictionary says a tyrant is a cruel and oppressive ruler or a person exercising power or control in a cruel, unreasonable, or arbitrary way. So in order to deal with, in that case, the king of England, the 13 colonies uh, got together. It was supposed to, they declared it on the second, but uh, some revisions still needed to be made to the declaration, and so they bumped it to the fourth. That's why we celebrate on the fourth and not on the second, but this is what it just starts. Just if you'd indulge me just for a little while, this is how it starts. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect of the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with a certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Love this moment as I say. The kingdom of God breaking through. The freedom of God finding expression in a governmental paper. That God's kingdom on earth began to shout for liberty. A different way to govern people, a new way. This is my mind. And I began to think about the church and I realized that just like uh, our nation, the church and the believers every now and again have to come to a place where you declare independence. Because there are some tyrants out there that still wander around the halls, in and around a near Christianity, and they wander about and they try and incrementally create dominance over over the church. And I just wanted to point, I sort of wanted to pick a fight this morning with a few things in a gentle way. So if you see me getting angry, it's not at you, because sometimes I get intense and then my wife goes, just, she's the the real shepherd in the chair, because you're messing with the sheep. The reason we have to go after some stuff is because it presents not as a tyrant that it is. So let me, let me give you an example. Declaring independence from the tyranny of legalism and condemnation. If you don't declare independence from, from legalism and condemnation, they will eat you alive. And there are more than enough tyrants around there who will preach the doctrine. You should be, you should be obeying this. You should be doing this. Oh, God's not happy with you till you do this. Oh, no, no, no. You don't understand this. This is what you need to be doing. If you're not doing it this way, God could never be happy with you. Just have, a, have a something in your spirit that just goes, I just want to declare independence from all of that. I'm free. You have to understand, after you declare independence, there's more than likely going to be a war. So don't be worried about the war. The war is a necessary part of a declaration of independence. 
Galatians 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. I'm gonna stop there. The yoke of slavery, what an interesting phrase Paul uses for the belief that circumcision is a vital part of pleasing God. Because that idea for millions of Jews over thousands of years had reigned. Talk about a radical shift in the mind of God's people. The sign that was given to Abraham as God's everlasting covenant with him has now become dangerous to believers because it stands as the pivot pin in the belief that the only way you can receive favor from God is through legalism. So Paul has to go to something that is so important to the Jews, so desperate that they go, you, okay, but you must be circumcised. And Paul has to dig out that lynchpin and say, no, you do not any longer. The way of the law makes salvation dependent on human achievement. And so Paul says, I, I, it does not matter to me. You can say, I believe in Jesus, uh, but there's just this one thing. In addition to that, you also must be circumcised. And Paul says, I cannot allow even the one thing to stand because I'm going to tell you, if you allow this little piece to stand, then you start to have to be obligated to obey the whole law. So Paul attacks circumcision. I cannot allow this to stand. And to Jews, they were enraged by it. That's why Paul says, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Five times in his life, they strung him up and whipped him. Paul's back must have looked brutal. The way of the law makes salvation dependent on human achievement, William Barclay says. The man who takes away... who takes the way of grace simply casts himself and his sin upon the mercy of God. Paul went on to argue that if you accepted circumcision, that is to say, if you accepted one part of the law, logically, you had to uphold the whole law. So when we try and find salvation through law-keeping, we cut ourselves off from the salvation that comes through God's grace. That's why Paul takes such a strong stand, and you're going to find him in these verses just taking a really strong stand, saying, you've got to throw this off, guys. We've got to declare independence from legalism, because even a little legalism, which brings condemnation alongside with it, is dangerous to our freedom in Christ. That's why we remain steadfast against the demand for compliance to anyone's particular code. Watch out for people who demand or threaten or belittle or name call or curse or enjoy the idea of your demise because you don't conform to their preferred yoke. I feel like I want to say that again because that, my friends, is liberty. Watch out for people who demand, threaten, belittle, name call, curse, enjoy the idea of your demise if you don't conform to their preferred yoke. Paul said, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. Stop. You have a choice to make. Either... And they are mutually exclusive. Either you buy into the law, in which case you have to obey all the law, which the Bible teaches that no one has ever been able to do. Or you go the way of grace. But you cannot mix the two. For through the Spirit, we, so you have been alienated from Christ, you have fallen away from grace. You know how many people use that phrase, you have fallen from grace? And by that they mean he started sinning. No, when Paul talks about falling from grace, he's saying you stopped believing wholly in grace and you started to add some legalism to your grace. You've fallen away from grace. 
Because suddenly you started to believe that it's also dependent on how you are you circumcised, what day were you circumcised on, who was the rabbi that circumcised you. Those all become important issues. What tribe are you from? Oh, you don't have the right lineage. You become a second-rate citizen. Oh, you're one of the slave children. Oh, well. See, condemnation and legalism play hand in hand. And friends, you have a, I just had to declare this morning, you have a grand call from God to just declare your independence from it all. I'm free. I'm not in. Not it at all, really. Not for me. No, thank you very much. Law keeping and grace receiving are two mutually exclusive plans to obtain right standing with God. They cannot be merged into a mixture where we embrace parts of legalism that we like and the parts of grace that we like and we form for ourselves a mixture. Christ has become of no effect to you, Paul says. You've been alienated from Jesus. What a dangerous foe this is. Do you see the subtlety of this? And I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something, that, that sense of foreboding that God's a little bit ticked with you, that, that sense that drives you and pushes you away from the presence of God, that's not grace, because grace draws you close. That's legalism, that's condemnation, and it's a design of the devil. It's a doctrine of demons, designed to push you away from God, not to draw you near. If you're feeling those senses, I just think it's time to declare independence. Throw some tea into a harbor somewhere. <laughs> Watch out for people who say you must adhere to their particular group of behaviors. Or otherwise Jesus has no pleasure in you. I just want to say Jesus has tremendous pleasure in me. You know why? Because I'm found in him and my father loves me. And my, my standing in God comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And your rule for behavior has no effect on me. Just here, yeah, have your tea back. Pay your own taxes. Hello. Are we preaching it? Calvin says, you deprive yourself of every advantage for being in Christ when you treat his grace as if it was no value whatever. We see then the smallest part of justification cannot be attributed to the law without renouncing Christ and his grace. But through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You cannot tell me that it's got to do with this or it's that. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and does your love for him send that faith? You, that's the only thing that counts. That's the whole ball game. That's what's interesting. Well, you didn't do it this. You didn't pray that way. You didn't observe that Sunday. Jesus, who has become for me everything I need. No. And this thing is so subtle, it creeps incrementally back into our lives until it's gobbled up every ounce of freedom. And we stand on one foot, balancing with the last little bit of freedom we have, pounded this way and that by condemnation. Yeah. <laughs> this fallen from grace, you have... You have fallen from grace, the euphemism for sin. But fallen from grace means you've turned back and put your head back under legalism. You fit legalism's yoke on you, you've fallen from grace. And that, friends, is terrible. Smith's Bible commentary says, the way to be righteous is through faith in Jesus Christ, receiving that grace of God through him, where God accounts to me as he did to Abraham, righteousness because I believe. Now that righteousness depends upon the work of Jesus Christ as my sacrifice, as my substitute. It is predicated upon the work of God. Therefore, that righteousness is perfect. It will stand, and it's given to me by my faith in Jesus Christ. That's what God accounts. The righteousness of Christ accounted to my account through my faith in Jesus Christ. So Greg, you're always preaching about this. Yes, because you're always forgetting it. <laughs> and so am I. 
Because this is the press against the church. This is the target of the enemy. Oh, no, step, come fall away from grace. No, no, just step back off that grace thing. Come, come here, this works. And it starts gently. I'm just going to introduce this little tax because I want you to understand we've had, we've had this war with France and it's been very costly and you guys are part of us and we support you so we just need a little help. Oh, I just need to add this tax as well because, you know, this is... Oh, and, and we're just going to take that. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Now, just stop. Paul says this, watch out. He says, you have to be very careful because there's some ideas that the enemy's gonna float by you that are in opposition to God. They actually resist the truth about they. They are pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God and, and they'll float them by you. And this world is full of them. And so they'll float them. And they're fine sounding arguments, Paul says. They make a lot of sense. The problem with them, they are not what God said. And so we float them by as though God's opinion and my opinion are very, very close. And so as I live down here, you should probably listen to me more. It's got that tone to it, and it floats by you. And, and Paul says, you have to take those thoughts captive. You have to grab them and put them under your knee and make them bow and say, now you will obey the Lord. We take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ. And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, we pull it down because the weapons we fight with have divine power to demolish strongholds. And every pretension... That's why he says, be alert, be aware. So otherwise, the enemy is just going to go drop a little lure near you. Hey. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? We have, to, we have to take some things off and we have to say, you know what? This, this thing, this is a lie. I will not submit to this tyranny. I'm not gonna bow down to this tyrant. I will not give any more space to this in my life. No, no, that's a lie. No, and I don't have to be subject to it. <clears throat> that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Do you hear that? The one who calls you, that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. I don't care if they're very eloquent. I don't care if they prophesied to you with deep sounding spiritual words. I don't care if they boast about miracles while they do it. That kind does not come from the one who calls you. Amen. Paul said, if I come back and I preach something else, or if an angel appears and preaches something else, he said, let them be eternally accursed. You guys have got to believe this stuff and cling to it because if you won't cling to it, if you won't take thoughts captive, this thing will be a tyrant over your life. I'm taking too long, but I'm just, it's urgent, it's important. See, a little bit of this poison will spoil everything. That's why Paul says here, he goes, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. This is used in, in this phrase, where he says a little bit of this will just destroy the church. He uses it three times. Once it's about legalism, once it's about sexual immorality, once it's about idolatry. You cannot even allow a little bit of this. Not even a little taste of this. Throw this off. This is a tyrant. It needs to be overthrown. But can't we just get along? No, unfortunately we can't. No, we have to declare independence. But there's going to be a war. Yep. Be worth it in the end. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whatever that may be, whoever that may be, will pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Can I just say, some people find the finished work of the cross offensive because it does away, cuts out all the ground from underneath them to control God's people. I was in another country, I'm not even gonna say where. 400 pastors in a meeting, the bishop over a denomination. I'm in his office, I preach grace, he goes, he says, man, that's beautiful. I said, do you understand? He goes, yeah, I believe it. He said, I can't preach it to my people. I go, but you, but you know it's true. He goes, yeah. 
Uh, but you're not going to preach. No, he said, I can't preach that. So why can't you preach the grace? Because my people will stop following me. I'll lose my authority and I'll stop giving. As for those agitators, I wish they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Don't use your freedom to indulge in flesh. Rather, serve one another in love. William Barclay says, Galatia was near Phrygia, which is a great worship of that part of the world, was Sybil. It was the practice of the priests and really devout worshipers of Sybil. They mutilated themselves by castration. And Paul says, if you go this way, which circumcision is the beginning, you might as well end up castrating yourself like these heathen priests. This is a brutal tyrant. It will, it will lead you to horrible places. It's a grim illustration which polite society raises its eyebrows at, but it would be intensely real to the Galatians who knew about the priests in Sybil. This is a call to freedom. It's not a release from holiness. We're called to throw off the yoke of tyranny of legalism and its condemnation, but at the same time submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What will you do with your freedom? We shouldn't make the first use of our freedom that we sign up for depravity and sin. Freedom is built for more noble stuff. You're free. Wow, free speech. Free speech shouldn't be used for pornography as it was in this nation. Freedom to do what we think is right shouldn't be used for evil. It's for freedom that Christ set you free. Don't be yoked again by slavery and don't indulge a sinful nature because of your freedom, Paul says. Freedom rightly celebrated remains free to serve one another in love. Now, this is, to me, the best test you can see whether people are legalists or whether they're free. Are they choosing to serve other people in love? Those are free people. Legalists do not serve others in love. They always, always have a hook. They always have a demand. They always have a judgment. Free people go, ah, oh, I'm free. What am I going to do with this freedom? When you grow up a little in your freedom, you go, my job is to be like my king who used his freedom to serve and pour out his life for others. Can I just say, friends, there is a deliberate decision to, to write a declaration of independence from legalism and from condemnation. Just go, not for me at all. I am free, completely separate brand new nation. I live in a different country with different laws, with a different government. That is not mine at all. And I reject it outright. Number two, declare independence from the tyranny of urgency and hurry. <laughs> urgency unchecked becomes tyrannical. Hurry left alone will become a killer for you. Corrie ten Boom said, if the devil can't get you to sin, he'll make you busy. Because the end product is the same. You're separated from God. Urgency and hurry will keep on demanding until they choke out the kingdom seed that has been planted in you. That's their goal. They partner with gentle alleviations of stress, quiet distractions and hideaways that are not Jesus. Distractions crafted by marketers and storytellers that are not connected to God. So drives busyness, and then he has, a, he has a way to get out of that. He has a, you can escape into this, but this is not Jesus. So busy and relaxed work. They work together to keep us away from the Word and from fellowship with Jesus. You know, one of the things that, this is just, uh, my wife's out of the room, I'm going to go, now, here comes the sword. <laughs> Blame her, she left the room. One of the things that, that just is amazing to me 
is that we look out over the, and people are harassed and, and, and really working. So the pressure comes on the church, hey, we need to slow down. We need to stop some of the things. Why don't we just, why don't we just not have a service that week and just tell people, just go relax. You know why? Because the moment I do that and I don't administer the grace of God in these meetings and we say, oh, you guys look tired, take some time. You're gonna go spend the Netflix binge and not be with Jesus. So my giving, my being gracious is not helping you. It's actually hurting you. Okay, no, we're gonna have a church service. Come, receive the grace of God. Be in the presence of God. Make sense? For the stop, no. Hey, maybe we should stop. Okay, never mind. Mark 6, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all the things that they had done and taught. Man, they were in a good season. There were miracles everywhere. There were things going on that they'd never seen. Even the demons submit to us in your name, Jesus. This is so cool. And did I tell you about the guy who got crippled? Crippled guy was walking and the blind guy was like, woo. Peter was like, that's nothing. Because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Life in the Spirit is very different. Grace and peace, righteousness and joy are what the kingdom is all about. There's a rhythm to the Holy Spirit's leading and we go out in joy and we lead forth in peace and there's massive productivity. You put yourself in the yoke of Jesus, you bear eternal fruit, a lot of eternal fruit because he said, I, you didn't choose me, I chose you and I want you to go and bear eternal fruit but I want you to put my yoke on you. I don't want you to go and try and bear eternal fruit with the world's yoke because that'll kill you. I want you to do it in my rhythm. I want you to be listening to my voice. And sometimes the voice of Jesus says, enough, let's go and get some rest. But Jesus, there's still sick people here and I'm batting a thousand. Have you eaten today? No, come on, let's go get some food. Eating food feels unspiritual. hanging out, just talking. Feels unspiritual. When we could have been there, being productive. He goes, yeah, but if I, if I leave you alone for another about five hours, you're going to get so exhausted, you're going to start slapping people. <laughs> Don't act like an orphan. Clamoring for attention, working for acceptance and approval. You're not an orphan. Don't look like a sheep that doesn't have a shepherd. You have a shepherd. Matthew 9, Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd look harassed and helpless. And if you're so busy and harassed and helpless, bounced around by the pressures of your life, then, then you're saying, you're presenting that you don't have a shepherd because a shepherd doesn't allow his sheep to look like that. Psalm 23, unshepherded people present harassed and helpless, rushing around nervously like they have no protection. Fortunately, the Bible says Jesus had compassion on them. Those people get Jesus' compassion. But you work best and I work best under a shepherd. And when we're under a shepherd, he teaches us how to find freedom in our productivity, joy in the journey, satisfaction in the labor, rest in him at all times. Hmm. The driving tyranny towards constant urgency and hurry is the opposite to the ministry of a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. There's a reason for every, there's a season for every activity under heaven. There is a time for you to do what you need to do. You can get everything done and be in balance and be in righteousness, peace, and joy, which is yours in the kingdom. The tyranny of the urgent is a terrible enemy designed specifically to cut you off from connection with Jesus. That's its goal. And if you understand that, you, you go, I am at war with anything that replaces devotion to Jesus Christ. And so I'm ready to throw it overboard. I will have nothing to do with this. This urgency that is driven by world is not mine. I am going to listen to Jesus. And one of the hardest things you're going to find is when the Lord says, I want you to rest. And you go, Lord, but there are, there's an opportunity here. And he goes, yeah, 
Yes, so I've got other people who do that, but I'm the only prophet. He goes, no, I've got 7,000 others. They'll, they'll take care of that. You need a rest. <laughs> hey, I resist any pretender to the throne of my heart. Jesus alone can be that. Jesus is my plan where I find rest and peace for my soul. That's what David said. Find, my soul finds rest in God alone. From him alone comes my salvation. It's in Jesus, and you can find it nowhere else. You can find temporary respite from the pain, but you cannot find restoration of soul, peace, productivity, eternal fruitfulness. Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke on you. Learn from me. I'm humble and gentle in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus basically saying, listen, guys, you guys are running around like shepherdless sheep, like chicken without heads just bouncing off walls. And you really need to learn a different rhythm. So I'm here to say, would you, let me take that yoke off you. Put my yoke on you. Because my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You know what's gonna happen when you start living my way? You'll find rest for your souls and you'll find eternal fruitfulness. So I need, I need everything about you to change. I want you to take my yoke. I want you to put that one down, take this one. Throw off the yoke. I'm not gonna be obeying that tyrant for another day. I had so much more to say, but obviously my preparation outstripped my time. <laughs> Last one, I'll just mention it, and you can, you can make it up yourself. <laughs> Declaring independence from the tyranny of other people's opinions. Amen. Unless you get free of other people's opinions, you'll never serve Jesus. Paul said, if I'm still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Because at some stage, other people's opinions, not, not at some stage, almost at every turn, other people's opinions will fall short significantly of the will of God for your life. And if I had listened, made a habit of listening to other people's opinions for my ministry, I would never be here. We would never be here. You cannot be a servant of Christ and have a tyrant of other people's opinion. You cannot. I care very little if I'm judged by you or any other human court. Paul said, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear. That doesn't make me innocent. God judges. And I answer to him. And I have one Lord. I don't need a tyrant. Well, you know, a bunch of us got together and we think, <laughs> it's, it's hard for me to tell you how little that means to me. I mean, I'm, trying, I'm trying to be gracious here, but honestly, honestly, I don't care. If the entire rest of the world got together and said, Jesus, we have, we have talked it over, and we think all things are created by him and for him and through him. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together. He sustains all things with his powerful word. To him, all things will answer. So what do you have to say? Well, we're all in agreement. Amen. Amen. Let me close with this. Some of us, maybe while I've been preaching, go, yeah, that thing's been encroaching. It's been levying taxes on me, and I have no, I have no representation in that arena, but they're taxing me. It's time to throw off. It's time to declare independence. And if there's a war on the other side of your declaration, so be it. It's worth the battle. It's worth the fight. It's worth the freedom. Aren't you glad the founding fathers actually came to that place? What a great nation happened after that. What freedom came to the whole world after that? And this is our moment. This is your moment. So I'm going to pray a prayer and just say, Lord, we're free.
We're declaring independence. I want you to join me. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just come to celebrate and thank you. Thank you for your kindness to us, Lord, in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the power of the gospel. Thank you for the beauty of the finished work of the cross. And Lord, today we just decide we throw off the tyranny of legalism and condemnation. I will not bow to legalism. I will not have condemnation on the people of God. I break that off and say, no, you will not come near. You have no right here. You have no standing and I will resist you every time I see it. I will not even allow a little legalism in the church. I break it off and I curse it. In Jesus' name, you may not come or rest on the people of God. I declare independence from that silliness in Jesus' name. We will not be moved, Lord. We will not be moved by urgency and hurry. We'll not be driven along, Lord, by the winds of this world. We'll not let the enemy set the agenda, but you, Lord Jesus, are the Lord of our life. And you can say, now, today is the day to work, work hard. Now is the time to rest. We give you full authority, Jesus. We surrender to your Lordship, Holy Spirit. Lead us on into productivity but we throw off urgency and hurry and the demands of this world. No, not for another second, not even a tiny little tax. And Father, the opinions of the crowd, the cataract of this age, the culture, the current vogue, Lord, that the winds have blown our culture into, I just say in the name of Jesus, you have no hold on the people of God. I break it off. Lord, and I don't care how spiritual they sound or how pompous it is or how strong the leadership is. I break it off the people of God. No, in Jesus' name. You'll walk free. Free of their opinions. Free of their cursings. Free of their anger. Because you submit to a greater king. Your word said, Lord, the Lord Almighty is the one you ought to fear. He is the one you ought to dread. So, Lord, we come and give you that allegiance, you and, and you alone, your opinion before any others, your word, Lord, over any other. Now, Lord, I bless your people. Thank you for this great nation, Lord. Thank you for this moment where your kingdom broke through and a nation was born that pleases your heart. This is a nation dear to your heart, Lord, and we give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.